breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. Always wonderful to be with all of you. Hope you're having a good week. And uh, a lot to cover as always. We'll whittle down to a couple issues that I'd like to uh, converse with you about. And uh, hopefully it's uh, a lot of material that you're just not hearing elsewhere. Conversations that uh, the legacy media and much of social media may not be taking the time to discuss. And this week especially, I'm going to ask you to pay attention to what's happening in Europe. Pay attention to what's happening in France and Austria. Because not only is it sure to follow here, but there are a lot of a lot of lessons and clinics to be had on what's happening there. And I think America poses some of the solutions that we might be missing elsewhere. Because this program, we address not only the controversial issues related to Islam, reform, countering political Islam, but we also address those things that are the opposite of the woke culture, the cancel culture. That we don't, on bended knee, sort of take orders from whoever is the collectivists of the thinkers of the day. But no, I want you to think for yourselves. Critical thinking, that's been sort of the pathology, the cancer of much of the Muslim-majority world, is that not only have they been run by dictators, monarchs, and and uh, theocrats, but uh, they have unfortunately been living in societies that have actually destroyed punished those who exerted and exemplified critical thinking often not only did they vanish disappear exported or otherwise imprisoned it just didn't happen and they paid a price One of the primary things I want to talk about first is I think one of the, I just could not believe that this week this was not on the top of every newscast. A Muslim-majority country, an independent democracy, Kosovo, opened an embassy in Israel, in Jerusalem. It opened its embassy in Jerusalem. Now, For long, it was thought to be such a radical thing that President Trump moved the American embassy to Jerusalem that somehow was going to cause major terrorism, major deconstruction of a lot of the establishment's move to empower, quote-unquote, peace over the past two generations, which, as we know, has been a fiction and has also empowered instability, has empowered dictators, has empowered cultures and governments that have radicalized their communities. But no, no, never mind. It's all been about linkage to the Palestinians. That's the problem. You solve that, then everything else goes away, which is complete nonsense. The State Department dogma of linkage of solving the Israeli-Palestinian crisis, which is mostly about Hamas and radical Islamism and the Brotherhood and its intransigence, its radicalization of its own population, that that somehow would solve the problem. And again... After the embassy was moved to Jerusalem, over a year, almost two years now has passed, and we've not seen any significant repercussions. And in fact, the Abraham Accords have come since, and the Abraham Accords have demonstrated that Arabic governments, much of the Arab Muslim community, Arab community, 
has been waiting to be more realistic, to be more pragmatic, open, functional with the government of Israel, to find what their commonalities are, to find what the areas of reform were necessary, as we saw with Bahrain, with the Emirates, with Sudan, with so many countries now that have recognized Israel formally and opened appropriate diplomatic relations with them. They did so because it was natural, it made sense. And the era of demonizing Israel through a rank anti-Semitism that the Islamists pushed, that Arabism pushed, and other totalitarian ideas in the Middle East have pushed, is gone. And I think that's one of the things that will go down in history as a huge shift. Because different, even different from the peace accords in the 70s and others, this one was followed with theological affirmation from many of the pulpits in the Emirates and Bahrain and elsewhere that the state of Israel does belong to the Jews. The state of Israel does belong side by side with every other government in the world as an equal. And that, I think, has been one of the successes of the Abraham Accords. But now, set all that aside, you have a Muslim-majority government, a Muslim, quote-unquote, nation in Europe, Kosovo, that now even the Islamist media, Al Jazeera reports just a few days ago, Kosovo opens Israel embassy in Jerusalem. And then they open, oh, the controversial move. Really? Controversial to open an embassy in the city that the government has a right to decide what is and what is not its capital city and has been since its inception? The controversial move comes after Israel recognized Kosovo's independence and means there are now three countries with embassies located in Jerusalem. Guatemala, the U.S., and Kosovo. Al Jazeera, and I'm quoting Al Jazeera because it sort of tells you the facts they have to deal with that they published are the facts. They they wouldn't publish this if, unless it was not only the truth, but something they are coming to grips with. Kosovo says it formally opened its embassy to, to Israel in Jerusalem, becoming the first European country to establish an embassy in the disputed city whose status is at the core of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. That's pretty fascinating, isn't it? That of all the Muslim, I'm sorry, of all the European countries, Turkey, I guess, is included in that, and we're going to see what the Turks, the Islamists of Erdogan, said about this. But a Muslim country in Europe decided to be one of the first, the first European country to follow the American leadership on this. A foreign ministry statement on Sunday said the move was made after the establishment of diplomatic ties with Israel on February 1 and a Kosovo-Serbia summit held at the White House in September. So this was before Biden. Let's see what the Biden administration says about this. Are they going to say, oh, these Muslims are so pro-Jewish. This is ridiculous. They need to side with that. That narrative doesn't work, does it? The Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Diaspora announced that the Kosovo Embassy in the State of Israel with headquarters in Jerusalem officially has opened. 
Kosovo's decision, according to Al Jazeera, was taken when outgoing Prime Minister Abdullah Hoti met Serbian President Aleksandar Vukic at the White House in September when then-President, with then-President Donald Trump. Setting the plaques and the state flag at the Kosovo Embassy in Israel reflects the government of Kosovo's commitment to comply with the pledge for establishing the diplomatic mission to Jerusalem. And all over social media, just in the past few days, they note the true, proud, and historic moment for Israel-Kosovo relations. The Republic of Kosovo officially announced its embassy in Jerusalem. And the ambassador to Israel announced, and as Demiri, it's the greatest honor of his life to have this opportunity to open the embassy and proudly serve my country in Israel. He proudly serving his country in Israel. A devout Muslim is saying that as a ambassador from the Republic of Kosovo. He's the charge d'affaires to Israel, called it a truly proud and historic moment. He said it was the greatest honor of his life. Meanwhile, the Palestinian claim continues, led by Hamas, that East Jerusalem is occupied territory. And they continue to be apoplectic, but yet no major wars, no major response, because I think the time is over for the dominance of victimization, of victimhood mantle by Muslims that we believe should be leading our communities. It's no. It's time for the Islamist establishment to step aside. It's time for the Islamist establishment to be exposed for who they are, what they are, and how fake and how false is the mantle by which they lead. And there's so much diversity in our communities that we are not sentenced to be led by the radicals of the Islamists of Hamas, the Ikhwan, the Muslim Brotherhood, the, the Khomeinists, or Turkey. What did Turkey say, by the way? What did Turkey say? Now, Obviously, some of this is in response to Kosovo formally being recognized by Jerusalem, by Israel, as an independent state. Absolutely. But that doesn't make either gesture less important or less significant. The Prime Minister designate of Kosovo found himself, as Al Jazeera, the Islamist propagandist arm reports, in a difficult diplomatic position ahead of taking up his most his post. Because pressure from Turkey now is coming, a close ally of the new Western Balkan country, to change its mind about the Jerusalem location. But Kurdi responded, the place where the embassy relocated is to be considered following Checking of the documentation of the outgoing government. Turkish President Recep Erdogan, the Islamist neo-caliph, has warned Kosovo that the move could damage future relations with his country. Oh, okay, that's such a bad thing, isn't it, Mr. Erdogan, you radical Islamist? But you, a few days ago, voted and made it clear that he was not going to speak out against the Chinese government's 
genocide against the Uyghurs. Such a pro-Muslim advocate for Muslim causes, but only when it suits his demagogic stances when it comes to Islamist propaganda. The Uyghurs don't seem to weigh in to the Islamist movement globally, so therefore we'll let them be put into camps in the millions, deprogrammed, abused and tortured and enslaved by the Chinese Communist Party because of the very fact that they are Muslim. That the Turkish government this week proved they would not speak out against at the UN and elsewhere. As the declaration that that was a genocide that is being committed against the Uyghurs was done, Erdogan did not want to step into that because of his own anti-Western, anti-American, anti-Israel mission that served by kneeling down to the Chinese Communist Party in Xi. Al Jazeera goes on to say, in one of Europe's most intractable disputes, Serbia has rejected Kosovo's independence since it broke away in the 98-99 war that was ended by a NATO bombing campaign against Serb troops. Kosovo and Serbia face mounting pressure from the West to resolve the impasse, crucial to either side joining the European Union. Again, fascinating, isn't it? So now all of a sudden, Erdogan seems to be taking the side of Serbia. A country, a country whose leadership Milosevic is now serving time for war crimes against humanity because of what was purely done purely because of bigotry and hate and genocidal aspirations against the Muslims of now Kosovo, the Republic of Kosovo. Fascinating. So why wasn't this news at the top of the newscasts? Why don't you ask your local news? Ask your national news, your international news. Wherever you get your information, this is what should be at the top. Muslim country in Europe opens embassy in Jerusalem, recognizing Israel and developing relations as the third embassy to open in Jerusalem. Takes away the mantle of victimization of Muslims and Palestinians, doesn't it? Let's shift over to generally what's happening in Europe. I've talked to you about this on a number of podcasts, but I want to sort of do a big picture assessment right now. In summary, ladies and gentlemen, pay attention, please, to what's happening in Europe. Pay attention. Look it up. Take a look. Read what's happening in France. number of thinkers in the West now have had some pieces out there. New York Post, Washington Times. I'll have a piece out. I'll let you know about it next week once it's printed. But if you care about freedom in the West, take a look. Is anyone is anyone paying attention to what's happening in Europe? The fault lines between the Islamists and the secular West have been etched in deeper and deeper over the last few generations. But most recently, they've been deepened and fortified by the failed post-9-11 policies. And those divisions, those fault lines, have now begun to tectonically shift. Yes, they're beginning to shift. And the epicenter of this earthquake that's happening between cultures, the foreign influence of Islamist culture, the all-encompassing Islamist culture that 
permeates social, economic, security, religious, political realms of identity versus the secular Western liberal consciousness. And, you know, listen, nearly written off by many of us, European nations are suddenly taking serious and significant action to push back against this encroaching cancer. And I've called it a cancer, and I believe it is. Theocracy, not only from within Islam, but within every faith, can be a cancer. And within Islam, it's probably the most significant one of any time in history because of the number of people it affects. You're talking about a quarter of the world's population, 1.67 billion people, In Europe, which has had, in many ways, open borders and has brought people in often with little vetting. Sure, they might vet for, do they belong to terror groups? Do they have an imprisoned record or other things? But no ideological vetting. And when you allow people into your borders that aren't coming because they want to be British or they want to be French or they want to be Austrian, but they're coming because they're escaping something and they bring with them supremacist ideas that were inculcated into their brains and their consciousness and the cultures they came from, then it's going to shift your national conversation, your national identity, and the fractures and fault lines that exist within cultural divisions. And that could be from neighborhood to neighborhood or whatever it might be. And in Europe, this is especially significant because while these countries are certainly part of not only NATO and our Western culture of liberal democracy and free speech and other values that are part of what I've seen as an American, as part of the American mindset, if you will, but are simply part of Western post-enlightenment modern society. But the identities in these countries, be it France, Austria, Europe, Germany, is still historically a racial one based in language and race. Each European country has its own identity of language, of history, rich in its own tribal setting, if you will. Now, a lot of that was turned on its head by enlightenment and modern thinking and liberalism. And their identity became one historically of race, but then... And I'll let the historians and the audience do their own teaching, if you will, about how that shifted and then shifted back into fascism in the early 20th century. And now in the post-World War II environment, post-colonial environment, when many of these countries now pulled out, obviously, after World War II out of their colonial endeavors across the world, They've now gone into a defensive posture. And part of that defensive posture in which they feel somewhat like they need to make amends for whatever harms may have been caused by colonialism, etc. They're also beginning to sacrifice a lot of the very values that identify the reforms against fascism, against socialism, of freedom, liberty, and individual thinking. And are these going to be lost? 
In 2020, as the world remained deeply embroiled in the pandemic, France and Austria and much of the rest of the EU essentially for the first time began facing the Islamist ideological monster inside its borders that they imported, that they thought was simply part of immigration and diversity. And I'm very pro-immigrant. Heck, my family, not only were my, was my father an Anglophile who was educated in London and benefited from the free thinking education of London as Syria was under the imprisonment of Baathism and fascism and national socialism. But so did I benefit from his choice to then escape to America and become a political refugee away from that horrific open-air prison known as Syria. But being pro-immigration does not mean then being anti-American because immigrants are allowed to then come in and destroy the ideas that formulate the country that invites them in. So I'm very much joined the Navy because I believe that the ideas that are embodied in our history, in our Constitution, need to be protected, need to be defended because it is what gave my family freedom and I want others to have that legacy, that ability to enjoy that. And yes, we're not a perfect nation and we need to continue to become that more perfect nation. And it's going to take a lot of struggles and battles and fight for those who are abused, who are treated in a bigoted fashion. And we have a lot yet to work on. However, that's not what I'm talking about. The battle against political Islam is one that needs to be waged. Led by French President Emmanuel Macron and Austrian Chancellor Kurtz, they seem to have woken up from a slumber and realized that it wasn't just the triggers or even the fuses of the militant Islamist acts of terrorism that they needed to defeat, right? The triggers are things that sort of activate Al-Qaeda activate ISIS. But heck, we can, in a security fashion, in a military fashion, defeat and destroy Al-Qaeda and ISIS and Hamas and other radical terror organizations. But the ideas that incubate and begin to spark that militancy, militancy is one arm of their advancement of their mission. The rest is nonviolent advancement of uh, majoritocracy, of the Islamic theocracy, or political Islam or Islamism. So as these countries, as we, and I've testified that this is, this is the core mission of this program, right? This podcast is about educating about the need to reform and why freedom hangs in the balance. I've testified to Congress on this many times. From 2011 on, when Peter King had hearings on the radicalization of the American Muslim community by the Islamists. When I, Esra Nomani, and so many others testified as Muslims about the fact that this is a battle we've been fighting, our families are fighting, that America needs to join and empower platforms for reformists while we defeat the ideas of political Islam, but not by pushing it underground. So get the diagnosis right. And I say this as a doc, right? As a doctor. If we get the diagnosis right, 
the best treatments for the most part will follow. If you get the diagnosis wrong, your treatments will not only hurt the patient, but may kill the patient. The United States this year stands to learn a lot from what's happening in France and Austria and the rest of the European Union. The importance of this moment in history and the accuracy of French President Emmanuel Macron's diagnosis is highlighted. It's highlighted by the fact that some of the world's leading Islamist demagogues, even with NATO's own Turkish President Erdogan, called for a boycott of French products back a few months ago in late October. And Macron, to his credit, responded, not sheepishly, he said, we will not give in ever, directly in response to Erdogan's call for a boycott, which is not only Turkey's call, but the Islamists from Qatar, Iran, the Taliban, and on went on to say that French products need to be boycotted because Macron was taking on political Islam, the separatism of political Islam. France's 2020 front in the cultural war against Islamists was sparked by the October 16 beheading of Samuel Paty, middle school teacher that had the courage to simply discuss what happened in the massacre of the Charlie Hebdo staff in 2015 when it showed cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad. In Paty's murder and beheading, a militant Islamist of Chechen origin successfully effectuated with the onslaught of radical Islamist threats against Mr. Paty had intended when they promoted a social media frenzy around what is now revealed, what is now revealed to be a fabricated version of what actually transpired in his class. Fabricated. So yeah, it doesn't, I mean, the, the, the bottom line, fabricated or not, the Islamists were motivated to go ahead. Doesn't matter what was actually necessarily covered in the class. It's a fault of free speech. He wasn't inciting. He was educating kids six years after the incident. What happened in their country that was a, a, a massive shift, a massive shift in his history of what has happened there before. And just, just as a brief aside, this is very important. France had a major cultural upheaval as a result of the beheading of this, this poor school teacher that did the crime of trying to teach his kids about what happened in 2015. And it was stimulated by a complete fabrication. The 13-year-old student who claimed that her teacher showed Muslim students naked depictions of the Prophet Muhammad has admitted that she was lying. This is multiple reports across the social media, again, under the radar. Nobody seems to care sort of after the fact what's happening, what the realities are. But the Islamists, again, ran with the fake story. As we saw uh, here in America, we see multiple stories where care goes on with stories, Council on American Islamic Relations, where half of them turn out, many of them turn out to be complete fabrications by the so-called victims. Young ladies and uh, uh, so-called uh, um, in, in, in the subways in New York who supposedly say they had their hijabs ripped off of them. Turns out when the New York police looked at it, it was a fabricated story. So many other examples. 
Remember the clock boy? A lot of that story ended up being dismissed from the courts because it didn't stand the tests of verification. And this story, the history and geography teacher Samuel Patey of Paris was beheaded by a Muslim radical after the story the young girl told gained international attention according according to the post-millennial. The student told her father that the teacher kept Muslim students after class to show a photograph of the Prophet Muhammad naked. Yeah, that's what she said, and that became news. The father filed a legal complaint and began a full-on hate campaign against the teacher, including creating videos detailing the accusations against the teacher. Only days later, Samuel Patey was beheaded by 18-year-old Abdullah Anzarov. According to the lawyer representing the 13-year-old, the teen wasn't even in class when the alleged incident she described would have taken place. She lied, quote-unquote, because she felt trapped in a spiral because her classmates had asked her to be a spokesperson. She was suspended from class that day for not attending, but she was afraid to tell that to her father. So again, the layers start looking at start seeming more like an honor issue. This honor crime, abuse of young ladies in Muslim Islamist families is actually the problem. Which is why if you don't address the disease, if you don't get the diagnosis right, it viciously feeds itself and sucks in societies into their vortex of hate and terror. That's when she told the lies, according to the post-millennial, that cost the teacher his life was when she was threatened, she was afraid to tell her father the truth of why she missed class. She would not have dared to confess to her father the real reasons for her exclusion shortly before the tragedy, which was in fact linked to her bad behavior. Her father has now been arrested for complicity in a terrorist killing. Prosecutors say that the father's actions had a direct causal link to the teacher's death. 13-year-old faces slander charges. Fascinating. Fascinating. There's so many layers to this story in Europe, I don't know where to start. Bottom line is, is pathology breeds pathology. You get the diagnosis right, you start to treat it, it's not going to be treated overnight. This is a generational thing, and Macron has been proving that he does have the patience to begin to address it because he's been addressing it on a daily basis. And I don't think he's going to let up. Macron has now begun to swiftly defend free speech and using the moment to defend France's character, values, and sped up his plans for a coordinated all-of-government approach against Islamist separatism. Macron has now begun to lead his country. And we should pay attention, pay attention to what is a very long overdue, persistent conversation that targets the root cause of the Islamist threat to France. Islamist separatism. The separatism, the idea that you might be living in this country, France, and you have a contract with them for the law, for as long as you're not a terrorist, that is. But you don't really identify with their values, you don't identify with their country, you're sort of consciously, subconsciously, physically separatists. You're working as basically an insurgency. Maybe consciously, but mostly unconsciously, but definitely ideologically. 
and many of us dedicated to Muslim reform against political Islam and Islamism have actually been calling for such an open conversation for a heck of a long time since 9-11. In a series of speeches, not just one, in a series of speeches since Patey's murder, Macron has laid bare why Islamism is inherently separatist. He said it rejects freedom of expression, freedom of conscience, and the right to blaspheme. He correctly laid the diagnosis and blame at the feet of Islam's establishment leaders across the globe who are, quote-unquote, in crisis and fomenting jihad. He has called for the de-ghettoization of Muslim communities. De-ghettoization. And that France engage its youth on French identity, not the fictitious victimization of exaggerated colonialism, unquote. Sure, a far cry from the mayor of Paris wanting to sue American pundits that talked about no-go zones and other things and wanting to split hairs about whether police can go in or not. Sure, they probably could go in, but the fact is is that they often didn't. The fact is that those neighborhoods were separatists, were ghettoized, and that in order to treat political Islam and the radicalization, you needed to address it full force, ideologically, French values versus Islamism. Macron introduced legislation reawakening France's Republican principles, quote-unquote, small r, Republican principles as a republic, and directly confronting Islamism's incompatibilities with that. He lifted up the laïcité that I've talked to you about on this program before. It's dominant constitutionally principle and consciousness of secularism as France's cement. Macron essentially declared war on foreign influence and Muslim institutions blocking funding from abroad, which I called for in congressional testimony in 2011, while surveilling mosques and imams as well as other professions. I did not call for that. But I do think that surveillance, as I said in my testimony after 2011, again in 2012, the issue is not putting illegal wiretaps and other things where private institutions become intervened by government. No. But monitoring the public space and addressing ideas as either compatible or incompatible as as basically threatening, I mean, the government does that all the time when it monitors the KKK, it monitors radical groups, whatever it might be, that foster separatism. Islamism should be on its radar. It doesn't seek protection simply because it's under the guise of a global religion. There's no way it can deserve that kind of protection if it's a separatist idea. But, oh, they if you look even the... Council on American-Islamic Relations now is up in arms about a couple of attorney general nominees and some other Biden nominees because they supported the CVE program, Countering Violent Extremism. And that extremism was so watered down, that program was so watered down, it wouldn't even, na- it wouldn't even label Islamism. And in one of my testimonies of Congress, I said it should be CVI, Countering Violent Islamism. But even CVE when it addressed radical Islam was not good enough for care, and now they're using it as a 
as a bludgeon. They're using the weak program as a bludgeon to say that it was anti-Muslim as they try to block a Biden appointee, which tells you again how Biden probably is cheering on the care guys behind the scenes quietly. And his folks are because they want the progressive far-left extreme Islamists, red, the red-green axis of the socialists and the Islamists and progressivists to control the Democrat selections. Back to Macron. He lifted up laïcité, the secularism of France, which he called its cement, its dominant constitutional principle. Macron declared war on foreign influence. And imams and others that brought foreign teachings of separatism and anti-French ideas, including other professions, not just imams, but Islamist physicians who conducted horrific virginity tests and other violations. What is Islamism? Now let's talk about this specifically. I always like to define it for those of you who are just catching up or new to the podcast. Political Islam or Islamism, which I believe is a synonym. I know some people don't like the term political Islam, but it's pretty entrenched in the academia about what it means because it's basically this concept that Islam is a way of life. Sure, it is. All faiths are. But if you haven't gone through a battle against theocracy, you've not defined as a faith community where the limits of your imams and your Islamic law is, so therefore it ends up becoming confusing. So yes, it deserves to be synonym, to be looked at as a synonym, political Islam or Islamism. But it's a religio-political cultural belief system that the state should have an Islamic identity and be guided only by Sharia law. Not a source, but the source of Islamic law. Islamic jurisprudence should be the only source of law for a society and a government. Islamists are part of a global political movement that seeks power and international hegemony, domestically and internationally. Like all totalitarian systems, Islamism is not compatible with Western secular democratic or republican ideals. Now, certainly not all Muslims are Islamists, but all Islamists are certainly Muslim. And while the Muslim migrants are not a monolithic block, among them are a plurality of Islamists and their sympathizers. And this is a reality. You look at the uh, Arab awakening has proven this over and over again in spades. From Egypt to Syria to Saudi Arabia, elsewhere. Wherever you've had sort of upheaval, if you will. We've seen when elections in Egypt came, the Salafists added to the Islamists created 30-40% of the vote. Not a majority, but a significant plurality. Macron has rightly stated that the Republican awakening could help build a form of Islam in our country that is compatible with Enlightenment values. It is this kind of tough love that is essential to embracing Muslim immigrants with dignity as adults and with real diversity rather than a bigotry of low expectation which leaves them to be radicalized by the Islamist movements from across the globe that really primarily want to destroy the West and our countries and our values. Let's step over to Austria for a second. Parallel Austria's 2020 front in its cultural war against Islamists was sparked by terror attack conducted by the Austrian by an Austrian ISIS supporter in Vienna on November 2nd, 2020. He left four dead 
23 injured. Chancellor Kurtz immediately responded with a new policy. He said, quote, In the fight against political Islam, we will create a criminal offense called political Islam in order to be able to take action against those who are not terrorists themselves, but create a breeding crown of such. A breeding ground. He added, There will be further possibilities for the closure of places of worship, the introduction of an imam's register. The symbol and association law will be tightened and measures will be taken to drain financial flows for terrorist financing, unquote. And this is all a culmination of program that Kurtz began when he took office in 2015. He's already implemented a hijab ban in primary schools as well as a face veil ban. Soon thereafter, the attack on November 2nd, Austrian law enforcement raided offices of 60 Hamas and Muslim Brotherhood-affiliated organizations in November, shutting down some mosques connected to terrorist ideology as part of Operation Ramses. On October 9, I'm sorry, on December 9th, 2020, Macron and Kurtz met with German Chancellor Merkel in order to develop a pan European strategy of decreasing the infiltration of radical Islamist ideology into their nations. So things are moving pretty quickly over there in Europe, aren't they? Only a year ago, they were ignoring known wolves and others that they seem to have sort of felt were just sort of spontaneously coming out of nowhere. Haney Garaba wrote for the IPT News that these leaders looked to apply, quote, swift removal of terrorist content online and establish one common instrument for all member states to this effect. It would give the EU authority to order service providers remove terrorist content or disable access to it, unquote. But I would note and emphasize and underline, please, bad ideas like political Islam, will only be defeated by better ideas. The U.S. legal system has long upheld a very narrow definition of incitement of violence. Supreme Court decision Brandenburg versus Ohio, which has been discussed frequently now in the wake of what happened on January 6th here in the United States, because the government otherwise would head down the slippery slope of censorship, which violates our unalienable rights to freedom of expression. The outlawing of hate speech or supremacist doctrines, historically, never works. Time and time again, the suppression and repression of Islamist movements has only empowered them as they flourished underground more than they would have overground and were shielded from the antiseptic effect of public exposure in competition for more appealing movements. So, they got the diagnosis right, But a lot of the treatment they're doing in France and Austria is sort of off. But hats off to them for the courage to finally address it. And the problem is, is unless they have Muslims they can trust that are engaged in this, they're going to have dysfunctional responses, swinging the pendulum back and forth, too strong or too soft. Will this cultural war declared by Macron and Kurtz work? In the end, there's no other option. There really isn't. Or else it's suicide. The sooner they confront political Islam, the better. Continuing prior policy, uh, you know, their appeasement policy of just sort of ignoring it 
only invites continued attacks on their secular and liberal way of life. And listen to all of you Americans out there. Europe is a cautionary tale for us. We must not continue the course which France and Austria are now only belayed attempting to alter at greater cost. We must also recognize that Americanism, Americanism is uniquely situated to be the West's last best hope against Islamism. I gave a speech entitled Americanism versus Islamism in Philadelphia over 10 years ago, and I stand by every word of that. We must stand together against foreign ideas that are incompatible with our social and constitutional compact. I want to leave you with a few other thoughts on what we should be doing. We must mobilize our greatest weapons against separatism and theocracy. Americanism on every plane and every front we can. Lead with an offense of reform-minded Muslims who would die for our secular republics and reject the supremacist appeal of the jihad. The sooner we stand up for our shared American values, the better off we will be. So pay attention, Americans. There's a lot going on in Europe, and it's coming here. We aren't going to be protected or shielded. It might be delayed because being American is an identity that I think is easier for immigrants to get, obviously, than it is for uh, immigrants in Europe to identify with those uh, countries, if you will. But the ideas are similar. It's just how do we identify, how do we articulate, how do we instill them? into communities, and against the Islamists. So it's good to be against political Islam, but are we developing what we are for? And that's what this podcast is about. That's what our work is about. And that's what your education and your role as activists should be. Share this program, please, with your friends, with your family, with your colleagues. And let's continue the conversation about paying attention to things beyond the partisan rancor paying attention to the reforms that need to happen because hopefully Macron and Kurtz and and Merkel and others will continue to pay attention to this every day and continue to raise, raise the agenda. Remember, Reagan was successful in the Cold War because he almost every day talked about prisoners of conscience, talked about the evil empire, that was the Soviet Union, and and set down a standard for what we stood for as Americans. And clearly, until we have leaders who stand for what we are uh, against political Islam, we are not going to see any change. And they continue to have the appeasement allow the Islamists to flourish as the establishment leaders of our community rather than the free thinkers, liberal thinkers, and modern thinkers of the 21st century. This is your faithful correspondent, on Reform This on the Blaze TV Network, Blaze Podcast Network. God bless. See you next week. This is Zudi Jasser. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.